This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Justin Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, welcome to the 46th President of the United States of America, Joseph R. Biden, was sworn in yesterday as our 46th president. Kamala Harris took over as the first woman, woman of color, African-American, South Asian woman, as vice president and the most powerful woman in U.S. political history. And we are on the dawn of a new administration, which was inaugurated yesterday. And that's juxtaposed next to what turns out to be really significant and damaging impact of the COVID-19 virus, Jamal. 400,000 Americans have died from uh, COVID. It looks like that number is going to go to a half a million Americans dead before the end of, uh, you know, by February sometime. The unemployment numbers, you know, almost a million people filed for unemployment last, last week, Jamal. So, On the one hand, we have a new administration, but on the other hand, this country is facing potentially catastrophic, dangerous, and debilitating impacts economically and medically. So it's a tale of two cities right now, Jamal. And talking about a tale of two cities, uh, let's talk about uh, the capital, Washington, D.C. I mean, we saw, we spoke last uh, week about the insurrection and the terrorists storming into the Capitol, and then thousands of uh, National Guardsmen and women have descended into the Capitol, high alert. Of course, yesterday, uh, everybody was watching the uh, inauguration, the festivities, the fireworks, very, very high security, but the high security has remained because there were some uh, bomb threats and death threats. So uh, we had a conversation with our reporter in Washington, D.C., Phil Pasquini. Let's take a look at that. Daily life in Washington, D.C. is starting to return to semi-normal, but heightened security continues, as you can see, uh, with our reporter joining us from Washington, D.C., Phil Pasquini. Phil Tell us what's going on there. I see you. I see behind you is the National Guard. Correct. Uh, all the numbered streets going through the city for the downtown area are still blocked by the National Guard. And uh, according to some sources, this is going to remain this way for several days, if not weeks. They're hoping to open it up. And the city overnight has transformed itself somewhat. The areas have been opened up to pedestrians again. Uh, but traffic, crosstown traffic is going to be a nightmare for the next few days, as I said. Uh, the bridges are open. They did want to close them completely, but there was such a backlash from that that they only closed them partially and for a few hours uh, before they reopened. Uh, but right now, we still see National Guard posted on each street corner, each alleyway, and uh, blocking all of the streets across town. The mall is still closed. Uh, but I think overall, the tempo and the, and the temperament of the city has changed tremendously. When Trump's uh, Air Force One wheels lifted off the ground, you could feel a, a lightning of the burden that people have suffered through here and across the country for four years under his domain. And with Biden's great presentation yesterday and a wonderful news conference last night, which I'm sure you saw, uh, we were informed, we were respected, uh, we were given pertinent information and direction. These are all things that a good leader will do, and we haven't had that for four years. So Washingtonians in general are feeling much more positive about the future, as I'm sure most Americans are across country. Yeah, I mean, we saw the uh, celebrations yesterday. I don't know if, uh, if people in Washington were able to see uh, the fireworks or even come close to the parade or it, it just saw us something that we saw on TV because of the heightened security. Were you able to get close to these uh, festivities? Yeah, yes, I couldn't see the fireworks because I'm about a mile from the White House where they were occurring, but most people uh, did watch them on television. Um, yesterday, you could get to Pennsylvania Avenue if you wanted to wait in a non-socially distanced line for about a half an hour while you went through security and bag checks. So the number of people uh, lining Pennsylvania Avenue was pretty small. Uh, I think the preponderance, the greatest number of people that we saw were uh, national and international press 
both uh, television and print journalists uh, inhabiting most of the city. But um, as far as the number of people on the street, it's diminished appreciably. And today uh, is also included in the warning uh, that had been issued for securitization of the city. Uh, tomorrow, things are supposed to lighten up a bit more, but we'll have to wait and see what happens between now and then, of course. So today is what we call the day after or the day after Trump. <laughs> What's the mood like in the city, at least in the United States Capitol? Well, I'm smiling and you probably can't see it. <laughs> but uh, people feel very positive. I just had a lady come up to me and say, God, thank God that guy is gone. We're finally going to get something new and efficient again that we need. And that's pretty much the general mood overall. I and mean, when everybody feels very relieved that the tyrant is no longer in the White House, he can't destroy anything else now. He's limited. Uh, and I think that's probably feeling people are feeling that nationwide. But of course, we have to remember only about half the people in the country uh, voted uh, for him or less than half. So there's still those out there who firmly believe in all the fantasies and QAnon and everything else. Um, but that's pretty much uh, the, the pace now. I know I was here during the uh, election in 2016, and after Trump was elected, you could feel people were just so depressed. Uh, it had a terribly different uh, tempo uh, than it does now. So that's been relieved greatly, and I think everybody's appreciative of it at this point as well. We hear, we hear about the threats, uh, of course, from uh, the FBI and other uh, security agencies. Uh, but have you seen anything on the ground, like anything uh, like demonstrators or from those, uh, uh, I, would, I would say, uh, <laughs> insurrectionists? Uh, did they return to, kind to, to try to disrupt things or they kept them no. at bay? No, they, they, they haven't come back. I think they realize that if they come back and they want to storm the Capitol again, they're going to pay for it, uh, you know, physically and in blood. And I only saw two people with Trump uh, regalia on, and it was very muted. It wasn't wrapped in flags. A woman had a MAGA hat on, and she was giving an interview to someone, uh, an international press person, explaining how, the you know, once again, the phony narrative of the election had been ripped off. Another guy had a sign about uh, the conspiracy for 9-11 and how the Democrats were involved in it and the governments behind it. Uh, the QAnon people from Ohio last week, uh, went to the in, now infamous pizza parlor, but outside of Washington, had a demonstration talking about uh, young boys being chopped up and sprinkled on pizza. If they, they can't even, this is like fiction that would, nobody would believe even then. Uh, and they tried to drown out the patrons, but the music, the pizza restaurant, restaurant was turned up and all the patrons walked outside and started harassing them to the point where it, it, it was described. They turned around and walked and got onto a bus they had Ohio, Ohio plates on it and left. So there hasn't been really, I mean, there have been, a, I think, three arrests so far for concealed weapons and ammunition and so on. I did see one woman yesterday harassing uh, some uh, Secret Service officers at a checkpoint, um, and they diffused that rather quickly. They weren't, uh, the level of tolerance has diminished greatly. So if you want to come and demonstrate, and there was a demonstration yesterday, it was permitted for 100 people. They were Trump uh, supporters. I believe it was at the Navy Memorial on Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, they were strictly limited to that number, and I didn't see anybody going to it or coming from it. So they've either, you know, taken different routes or they've managed to keep all the normal regalia, the flag on the flag shaft and so forth, uh, off of the streets altogether. Well, it's good. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's good after what happened uh to keep these, uh, what I call most of them were, uh, you know, white supremacist terrorists uh, storming the Capitol, and you want to make sure that the inauguration went all right. But again, I'm just looking at you now and uh, seeing, you know, the uh, military truck behind you. These are sights or scenes that I was used to seeing and knew yourself when we were traveling overseas in, in Cairo or uh, in other, uh, you know, Middle Eastern countries or other countries around the world. But, you know, this is Washington, D.C. How much tolerance do you think the American public will put up with seeing... Uh, you know, basically uh, Washington, D.C. turning to a garrison. 
Well, it's interesting because my experience, like yours, has always been that I'm used to this. It's maybe jaded to the fact that the miller, there are military uh, and armed soldiers and checkpoints and so on from having worked in Palestine and Israel uh, and in the Middle East and Turkey and so forth. But for Americans, it's an unusual scene. Some people are very frightened by it. They're staying off the streets and staying home. They're adhering to all the warnings. Uh, others are uh, seemingly less jaded. I see people stopping all the time, taking photographs, greeting the troops, telling them they appreciate their efforts and on our behalf. Um, a lot of people are taking pictures with them and of them, and they've been very cordial in return. They haven't uh, acted, you know, overtly or, or been difficult to deal with at all. They're, they're pretty straightforward. Um, for the most part, uh, but I think that it's going to wear, you know, on people's nerves after a while. I mean, we're now talking about this is the second week that we've had large numbers and now up to 25,000 troops in the streets. Uh, they are armed. Their weapons are not loaded. So if you're not familiar with weapons and you see the weapon, you, it's very intimidating. If you realize it's not loaded, it's just a guy standing around with a gun, you know. They're not as threatening to me as these white supremacists are who show up with their free speech and and uh, Second Amendment rights, asserting them in state capitals. And those guns are loaded and ready to go. So we have a real difference. But it's an unusual scene in America, and it's something I think we're going to have to get used to uh, for a while. I, I hope it won't be long, and I hope this would all end quickly. But, uh, you know, the threats keep coming in, and people keep doing stupid things. So... We just have to uh, tolerate it, I suppose, as best we can. Well, Phil, stay safe. Uh, and we'll just come back to you for another report, uh, you know, from Washington, D.C. Hopefully things will come back to normal. Yeah, it, they are. They're coming back slowly. But, uh, you know, we're moving in the right direction. I think that's the positive thing about it. Uh, the Capitol, I'm sure, will be secure for a long time. It's going to be difficult getting in there in the future. Uh, I think we lost our naivete, if you will, uh, by the insurrection that was committed by what I call the village people, uh, characters with the hoods and the, and the horns and the rest of the stuff. But uh, I, I think we're on the right track, and I'm sure Biden will. I know he has a tremendous amount of work ahead of him, a great deal to undo, but I feel positive about the future as we unfold into this new era after Trump. That's the voice of Phil Pasquini reporting to us from Washington, D.C. That's uh, Phil Pasquini, Arab Talk correspondent in Washington, D.C. So, Jamal, we know that, uh, you know, what happened after January 6th with the coup attempted to coup d'etat with our domestic white supremacist uh, terrorists that uh, took over the Capitol, that security would be difficult. But I was under the mistaken impression that up into the uh, leading to the inauguration and yesterday, things were just very secure and fine. Apparently, that wasn't so, according to Phil. Yeah, well, uh, you know, as you saw in the interview, uh, Phil was standing in front of a National Guard's uh, truck, Jess. Uh, you know, so you have a, a militarized Washington, D.C., a scene I'm used of seeing when I've traveled into Egypt during uh, you know, the Arab Spring and Tunisia and so forth, or a scene that Americans are not really used to seeing in their cities, especially in the capital city. But apparently all over Washington, D.C., you have all these uh, trucks, you have barriers, uh, barricades, checkpoints. I mean, it's almost impossible unless you have the proper credentials to come anywhere near the White House or Capitol Hill. Well, Jamal, I think, you know, as time goes on, we're two weeks after what happened on January 6th, as I mentioned, the attempted coup d'etat. People's initial reaction was it was just a bunch of really stupid, you know, white people, essentially, who decided to just for fun storm the Capitol. But the real disturbing information that we're now getting about what happened on that day is that it was organized, it was planned, it was fomented, there was highly elaborated discussions going on, and the FBI has rounded up and arrested over 100 people. Hundreds more will be arrested and charged. Uh, one person has, at least one, possibly two, has been arrested for conspiracy, 
which we'll get to a little bit later because that's really very significant in terms of the anti-terrorism laws. But as we're finding out, Jamal, this was, we were, as we look back on this and as historians look back on this, we'll look back at what happened on January 6th as a very close call and brush with uh, a an attack on the very foundation of the democracy. You know, uh, Vice former Vice President Pence, Speaker Pelosi, could have been captured, uh, tried, and possibly assassinated. Other uh, targeted Congress uh, folks, men and women, but especially the squad, AOC, Ilhan Omar, and uh, Rashida Tlaib could have been captured you know, arrested, tried, and and possibly assassinated. As time goes on, Jamal, this whole, uh, you know, travesty of January 6th was much worse than we all realized. You're absolutely absolutely correct, Jess. And we'll find out more. But just in this past week, because of all the different recordings, the security cameras uh, in the Capitol, uh, people's cameras, selfies, and and even the perpetrators themselves, uh, you know, recording themselves to post online and so forth. You've had people communicating with each other, which the FBI recently re- released some uh, voice recordings, giving instructions. Right. Uh, go here, go there, uh, you know, uh, like, like a real organized, militarized type of coup. You've had... Um, you know, um, calls from outside giving directions, not only amongst the uh, perpetrators, but people from out of state also calling, giving directions. People who are very familiar with the plan uh, of of the capital. They kind of like, you know, just like you watch in the movies, like somebody's looking over some some uh, construction plans of the capital, telling people what floor to be at, what hallways, uh, and and so forth. And then, of course, you had the death threats. You have, they found out also some bombs. They had people with a lot of ammo coming in. I mean, there was a plan, what what it seems like, that could have ended up in in, in, in a hostage-taking of, uh, of the senators and congressmen and congresswomen, or, of course, the killing. So we... What I would say, this country has dodged a bullet. Yeah. I mean, this is how we look at it. It looks horrible. It looks terrible. But we have dodged a bullet in, a, in essence that luckily the uh, lawmakers were not hurt, even though, you know, a policeman was killed and others were killed and, and hurt. But this was an organized thing that we have never seen before for, you know, we haven't seen for many, many, many years. And again, uh, you look at the scene now and uh, it's exactly a scene of a country under siege, a scene that you are accustomed, accustomed to see in other countries, you know, where you have the military, the, you know, National Guard, you have tons and tons of policemen from all over, FBI, security. I mean, if you go to, you know, from the description that we've seen and we've talked to Phil Pasquini, Washington, D.C. is like uh, under a siege. I mean, this is not the Washington, D.C. I was like kind of reflecting at it, thinking about a couple of months from now, or you have... uh, Millions of tourists usually descend on Washington, D.C. You know, um, uh, you have the Sherry Blossom. That's right. that kind of Washington, D.C. Right. is very famous for early spring. And then the tourists, of course, you know, lives have life has changed uh, because of COVID. You have less people to begin with and, uh, and and places people will go to the Smithsonian. And But it's like it looks like a ghost town. Well, it looks Jam- like a ghost town. But in, but in reality, Jamal... This is why I think many people are still in denial about what happened. Yes, there's a COVID restriction and people cannot travel. But because of the militarized presence, finally, after 240 plus years, uh, maybe for the first time in our nation's history, we're facing facing up to the grim reality 
that the real danger to democracy of this country is not from outside this country, but from within. And the long original sin of this country, slavery and ethnic cleansing, that stain has never been cleaned. It's never been addressed. And in this last four years, we have found out that it has been encouraged, uh, fomented. Gasoline has been poured on it by the former President uh, Trump. And that the biggest threat to this country's integrity as a democratic republic are really white supremacists from within this country. And I still think we're in denial about this. I still think if you look at the coverage yesterday from the mainstream media, you know, there was some discussion of what happened on January 6th, but everybody was uplifted. Everybody was hopeful. And although I think it's important to be hopeful about, you know, the future, even though it looks pretty grim right now, the reality of what happened and the reality of what's still in this country, the reality that there are still hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans who still don't believe that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the legitimate president and vice president of the United States. You still have senators who are parroting Trump-like talking points. Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz today. I mean, uh, the many Republicans are going to still double down on the Trump narrative. We we are not out of the woods. Maybe we dodged one bullet, as you said, Jamal, but there are a lot of other bullets that are loaded and are chambered and ready to be fired, in my opinion. And I don't think we can rest right now because unless the FBI and the judicial branch of this government and the Justice Department really finds these people, arrests them, charges them, and they're held accountable, I'm really quite worried about the future. Yeah, well, we talked about this last week, and the FBI has to take this, and I'm sure they are taking it very seriously, and they have to uh, arrest all the uh, people who participated and all those who organized. And also, we have to take a very careful look at all these politicians who have been egging, uh, you know, their constituency to reject the results of the election and, and calling them in and have called them really to march in, uh, on, into the Capitol. I think these are important things, but I want to actually move on. I call this the day after, right? <laughs> the day after waking up and knowing that Trump is not in Washington, D.C., and knowing that Trump is not on my Twitter feed. Of course, this has not been the case for about, uh, what, a week or so since Twitter basically uh, uh, canceled Almost two account. weeks. Yeah, I think it's been two Almost weeks. Almost two weeks. But in general, in the news, with a very short story, somebody took a picture of him playing golf, um, I guess, in Mar-a-Lago. But he's out of the picture. This is definitely the day after. I thought uh, Biden's message was uh, a good one. I mean, you know, his speech was a good one. Uh, offered hope, as you said, and now the issue of implementation. Uh, the other thing is you and I will have to talk about what are, uh, you know, what's going to happen under this administration. What do we think? What are the changes? Now, um, let's start a little bit with the executive orders, which I right. thought uh, there were the right move that, um, I mean, he showed... 17. Uh, there were 17 executive he, orders. Yeah. I mean, he rolled up his sleeves and went, he and Kamala... Harris, Kamala Harris, went to work and started to reverse all these uh, crazy uh, executive orders uh, that were uh, put in place by the Trump administration. Uh, for example, uh, on immigration, he uh, Biden's uh, uh, called uh, Congress to grant permanent status and path to citizenship to dreamers. Right. I, I really feel bad for those dreamers because under Obama... And then that would have been, what, four years ago, they, you know, that's when they were given hope towards the end of uh, the Obama administration that uh, the Dreamers, they had a path to citizenship. Then came Trump, canceled it. Now they're back again. You know, uh, Biden is defending the Dreamers program uh, for these uh, undocumented uh, young uh, immigrants. They're really, uh, many of them who came to this country, uh, no fault of their own. They were seven, uh, several months old or, or, you know, they were all basically minors. 
So I think that's a good move. And then ending the so-called uh, Muslim travel ban, that's another crazy Trump thing, which basically Trump launched in 2017, restricting travel and immigration from uh, to the U.S. from Syria, Iran, Iraq, Sudan, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen. Then later on, he added Eritrea, Nigeria, um, Myanmar, uh, Kyrgyzstan, and Tanzania in 2020. I mean, he's just like... <laughs> You know, because he wanted to add like some countries that weren't a uh, f- uh, Muslim, major- guess, Muslim majority. majority to, you know, because it came under criticism. And uh, so now uh, Biden has uh, instructed the State Department to restart visa applications for, for these countries. And then, of course, uh, the priorities, changing the priorities for ICE. That was like a top priority under Trump chasing after uh, undocumented immigrants in this country and putting all the resources to homeland security to do that. And then, of course, the biggest uh, joke of of all of these was, uh, you know, Trump was supposed to build the wall and make Mexico pay for it. And we know he only repaired a few sections of the wall and built very little. But anyway, that was the campaign. And that's what... His supporters lived by. This That's is what, right. you know, they were like thinking that he was actually building the wall. So Mr. Pa- Biden will end the national emergency declaration cited by the Trump administration to divert money to the building of the southern wall. Because this is this is how Trump, after he was uncovered, that he was uh, full of it, that uh, he was uh, basically joked. It was the joke of Mexico because Mexico wasn't sending any money to the United States to build the wall. And then he had to create an emergency, Jess, uh, and so to divert federal money to start building the wall. Of course, he accomplished uh, very very little of that, uh, if any, because like, as I said, he, he just was replacing sex, sections of that or segments of that wall that was uh, already in place. So, uh, what else? Uh, well, the, the one the one executive order that I was very pleased to see, Jamal, was the implementation of the Defense Production Act, which utilizes the full force of the federal government in, in an emergency to call upon private sector manufacturing to get involved with the production, distribution, and implementation of the COVID-19 vaccination plan. Um, The bad news with all of this, Jamal, is that very few people are still getting vaccinated. And even though the Trump administration promised 20 million people to be vaccinated by the end of December, the actual number of people that have been vaccinated so far is so low, we're actually throwing out vaccine because it's past an expiration date or it hasn't been kept cold enough. So we are not because even... There, was, there, is, there is no coordination. I well, actually went uh, to my dentist, uh, when I go? Tuesday, just a couple of days ago, Jess. And she has, not, she has not received her vaccine yet, and she's a dentist. And then she, her daughter, who works with her um, in the office, received her vaccine two hours north of San Francisco. I forgot the name of the town, but she couldn't receive it in San Francisco. They're overwhelmed, you know, as you know, at UCSF and Kaiser. She had to drive two hours to a town like by Highway 5. I forgot the name of it and stood in line and received it. But here is the thing. The Biden uh, administration is going back. I don't know if this is helpful or not, but it seems to be helpful to the... uh, they are restructuring the federal government coordination for the COVID-19 pandemic, and they're uh, uh, bringing back the uh, no Obama era uh, position called the Directorate for Global Health Security and Bio Defense. Well, so, it, yeah, but those are all good things, Jamal. Because, uh, and again, I you know I always bring sobering news about COVID to our listeners and our viewers. But the announcement, for example, in California, where we're broadcasting from, 
that anybody over 65 can get the vaccine. They've had to reverse that because there's, there's, yeah, but not, they said like, 65. I mean, what I know, what I know on the ground from, from people and neighbors, only people who are over 75 received a, uh, well, they had to change it. They, they yeah, they had to make an appointment. They had to change. And I'll tell you, they had to change it because right now, and uh, there's barely enough vaccine to vaccinate everybody who's had a first shot and everybody who's over 75 to get us through June. And that leaves so many people who are not going to be able to get vaccinated because the the Biden plan was a million uh, vaccines. In the first 100 days. In the first 100 days. I don't see that happen still. I'm sorry. Even we're, if we're, they use the National Guard and Navy. Well, and, this is what I said last week, Jamal. We need to bring the National Guard out. We need to use every pharmacy in the in the United States. We need to use every stadium, every convention center. We need to have mass vaccination sites. Now, we could do that, but then the problem is there's still not enough vaccine to get out there. Johnson & Johnson may may get approved within the next two weeks for their one-dose uh, vaccine. And there are other companies that are trying to get the emergency use authorization. But the reality is, Jamal, we're in a very dark period of the, of the COVID-19. More variants are coming out. We don't have enough vaccine. Not enough people are getting vaccinated in their arms. And so for the Biden administration to authorize the Defense Authorization Act to get the private sector more involved in PPE manufacturing and distribution of the vaccine gives me a little bit of hope that they're on it. But there's going to be a month or two delay. And before the people who really need to get this vaccine, which is everybody, basically, we're really talking about people not getting fully vaccinated probably till September, maybe even later, Jamal, because there is not enough vaccine to go around right now. So I mean, bravo to the Biden administration for doing this. But the really painful reality is that the Trump administration bungled this, was so ridiculous and what it decided to do, Project Warp Speed, you know, making vaccine, that they never figured out a plan how to get it into people's arms. And even with Warp Speed, Jamal, we still don't have enough vaccination. Well, this kind of, we knew this, I mean, all along, uh, and I don't think, uh, I mean, the Biden administration, of course, is aware of this. So it's, uh, it's uh, like I said, this is something that was messed up by the Trump administration. And what I look at is kind of evaluating what uh, Biden, the Biden administration is going to be doing. They seem to be very cognizant. They seem to be on top of things. They, seem they are. To be, Restoring, you know, all these things and trying to do the coordination and and trying different plans, and and some of the positive things that they've been doing, you know, also like they now they rejoined the, the WHO, you know, the WHO organization, also the uh, things Paris about the Accords. environment, yeah. So so I I feel they're hands on. I mean, I feel at least. I mean, it's not enough to say that's 20, 24 hours, but they're hitting the ground running. Because they've been evaluating, they've been have their advisors. They're very much aware of what the damage that was caused by the Trump administration. But I want to look at kind of like the longer picture, the future picture, the expectations. I mean, we know. I mean, as far as the country, I feel I'm in better hands under a Biden administration than Trump, as far as trying to find solutions to deal with COVID. If uh, whatever happening, what's happening now, this is not because they've kind of uh, botched it, as, as you said, this is the, uh, Trump's thing. But I'm also looking at everything else. I mean, I mean, hopefully by September, I'm fine. I'm kind of like resigned myself. This is not going to be a fast solution. Things, uh, people get vaccinated. Then I'm thinking about the economy. Are we going to be able to bounce back? I'm thinking about, uh, you know, our international position. I'm thinking about what's happening with the, with the crazy things that uh, the Trump administration did in the Middle East, like moving the embassy into, uh, into Jerusalem. But uh, uh, they've already Israel. made a statement on that, Jamal. Uh, 
the designate elect of the uh, State Department, Mr. Blinken, has already announced that there's no plan to change the embassy being uh, in Jerusalem. He did make that announcement. Yeah, but they said about this, but that also it's it's not just the the venue itself; it's also uh, the reaction. And you know, like basically, Trump has severed all uh, communications with the Palestinians. By the way, there was like a little—I don't know if it was a snafu or what—but for just a couple of hours, the ambassador's de- designation on Twitter. Uh, his designation was changed or his label was changed from the U.S. ambassador to Israel to the U.S. ambassador to Israel, West Bank and Gaza. Yeah, I saw that. Was that a, was that a then, hack? And then, was that a hack or I a don't message? Know, and, then, and, then, and then it was changed. No, I think, I think what they're trying to do is having that ambassador also represent because and re, uh, uh, restart or uh, reactivate the council general position, because Trump uh, has shut down the council general uh, position or the consulate for Palestinians to use. And this was in Jerusalem for Palestinians living in the West Bank, Gaza, and everywhere. You know, now it's called the consular affairs. I think he will change that. That's That can be done very easily to address this. But then there is also the, the recognition of, I mean, there's worse than this. Like, to me, the venue issue is one thing, but also like the uh, Trump administration has recognized the annexation of the settlements in the West Bank, saying that's fine, you know, facts on the ground are facts on the ground. The settlers can keep what's theirs. They also recognize Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights. Is that going to continue? I mean, those... These are but see, Jamal, I think these are very important issues. Yeah, but that's going to be a litmus test, at least when it comes to foreign policy, specifically on the question of Palestine. Even though Blinken said that they were not going to move the embassy from Jerusalem back to Tel Aviv, we see a series of, you know, missteps, uh, disregard for Palestine and for Palestinian. Uh, outright kind of, uh, you know, thumbing their nose at international law by the Trump administration in regards to Palestine. These are all easy things that the Biden administration can do. They cannot accept the legitimacy of, of settlements. They cannot accept the legitimacy of an attempt to take, you know, to occupy the Golan Heights. They could reestablish contact with Palestinian leadership, although that's a separate issue. These are what I would call in the diplomatic world, Jamal, low-hanging fruit to show the Democratic Party and progressives and the international community that the Biden administration is on the side of international law. I am not optimistic about that. I don't think they're going to touch the issues of Palestine or other issues in the Arab world, North Africa and the Gulf, for some time because they... They basically have two years, Jamal. The Biden administration has two years to spend its most important political capital. And unfortunately, I don't think they're going to spend any of it on making right all the wrongs that the Trump administration did. Well, when I mean, they started, they started very quickly, at least on the domestic level. And and if you want to connect that to some international level with re- reversing the Muslim ban, I think makes a lot of Muslims in this country and around the world kind of happy to see that go. But then if we're going to also, and I know like with Palestine, there is uh, the terminology that we always use, which is uh, PEP, right? What's a PEP? Progressive, Progressive except, except for Palestine. Palestine. Yeah. Okay, we understand that game. We've played that game. We've seen it being played many times Be before, but then there are other issues like, what about Saudi Arabia? What about the uh, you know? What about Egypt? What Trump gave uh, gave Saudi Arabia a wink and a nod when they murdered Khashoggi, you know, a resident of the United States who lived right in the capital in Washington D.C., and then Trump looked the other way and instead rewarded Saudi Arabia by saying they're go- that they are going to sell Saudi Arabia more advanced uh, weapons and, and, and planes. And then, of course, uh, what happened, you know, with all 
the charade in Washington, D.C. about getting all these uh, uh, representatives of the Emirates, Bahrain, and so forth, sign this uh, uh, peace treaty, or not peace treaty, I guess, re-establishing uh, Diplomatic relations, normalized with relations. Israel. And of course, at the expense of the Palestinians, but they all expected something, you know, they all expected to get in return mostly weapons, right? That's what they expected. That's what well, um, the, the Emiratis expected. Is this going to happen under a Biden administration? What's going to happen with Yemen? Are we going to keep arming this all this while they're bombing the hell out of the Yemenis? What's going to happen with there? What's going to happen in, in Iraq? What's going to happen with Syria? We're still somewhat engaged. What's going to happen in Afghanistan? And so Iran. Are, and Iran. And, 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 yeah, and then, of course, the big big question is the Iran nuclear, uh, so-called nuclear program. So there is, uh, I mean, a bunch of uh, questions when it comes to security and international affairs and the Middle East. They can't bury their head in the sand. Uh, and ignore I, I'm afraid, these. but I'm afraid that they will have to bury their head in the sand temporarily, Jamal, because the the three or the two biggest agenda items right now for the Biden administration. I think there are three, but there's there's the COVID pandemic, there's the economic devastation that's being brought to this country because of the COVID pandemic. And then the third thing, I think, is the assault on, on, on democracy by white supremacists. I think that's got to be his main focus of attention and where he spends his political capital. I don't know what he's going to turn to international affairs. All of the things that we just brought up are really important in terms of reestablishing stability in the world. But if you're asking me to be hopeful about international diplomacy and all of the, you know, and, and all of the illegal, immoral, unethical things, corrupt things that the Trump administration did uh, on the global stage, you know, with diplomacy, I don't see it happening. And here's the other thing, Jabal. If we're talking about holding people accountable, will the Biden administration, this is a question for you, will the Biden administration hold the Israelis accountable for all of their illegal activities? I mean, you know, Trump and Bibi Netanyahu and Trump and the uh, American-Israeli kind of relationship never saw a better four years. Never. You know, the number one ally, they would always say, is, you know, were, were the Israelis, which is not true by any stretch of the imagination, just the thing that you say. My question to you, Jamal, will the Biden administration hold the Israelis accountable for their breaches of international law? What do you think? As, as much as they've done during the Obama administration. Which is very little. I mean, I mean, which I is mean, very little. We know, we know Biden is pro-Israel. He stated this more than once. We know the action in at the Senate and Congress and so forth. This is something that's going to take a long time to change public opinion, not only of the American public opinion, but also uh, change the public opinion right there on, on the Hill. That's going to be an uphill battle i don't think exactly. it's going to happen anytime soon however i remember i recall actually because i was in 2016 in palestine the last year of uh, the obama administration and at the time the secretary of state uh, kerry was having this shuttle diplomacy going and coming right. back every uh, every couple of weeks sometimes every month trying to push the uh, the Netanyahu administration and if you remember that was the first time that uh, Barack Obama uh, asked uh, his United Nations ambassador not to veto. Right. Remember that veto and every right. the Israelis were all upset and, and their surrogates at Congress. It was the very first time that the United States refrained from uh, vetoing a, a, a resolution to protect Condemn. Israel. Right. To, yeah, and so they didn't do that, and you know Obama was very peeved with the with Netanyahu. Kerry was very upset. I don't know about Biden, but I, mean, I am sure he was in the middle of these things. So I think that they'll carry on from that level. 
that, of course, Israel's security comes as a number one, as a priority, that we're not going to push Israel to do certain things, that it's not, but they're not going to let them having this wanton kind of behavior, grabbing everything left and right that, that they've done. What happened during the past four years kind of uh, outperformed everything that the Israelis have done in, in 40 years, you know, that kind of like on, on the fast track, trying grabbing everything, getting everything that they, they've wanted and more. In fact, they were getting things that the Israelis didn't want. I mean, they were throwing things at them left and right. And I don't think that will happen. I think there has to be a rebalancing of... Uh, policies uh, when it comes to the Middle East and also the allies and how Trump approached uh, Arab countries in general. Well, I, 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 I appreciate your optimism, Jamal. I really do. I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I mean... Well, we're, we're, we're not going to judge it now. We're just <laughs> thinking about it down the line. But I was... Uh, anyway, there is a lot to talk about. We'll talk about this. There's a couple of things we have... Uh, maybe 10 minutes or so, or less than that. Uh, no, actually, we have five minutes. Uh, right. Just the, uh, I was like looking at the things that uh, the last 24 hours of the Trump administration and all the pardons <laughs> he was like handing uh, left and right. And uh, this morning I was read, reading also about a pardon that uh, was given to uh, Judge Janine Pirro, you know. Her Judge, husband. She's on, yeah, her, her husband. Her ex-husband. Her ex-husband, actually. He pardoned him because she saw the list. I mean, I mean, look at these people, how much access they had to the President of the United States, those Fox people. They actually received a list in advance before anyone else and saw the names who uh, the people who were going on the pardon list, and she didn't see her husband's name on the list, and she had a fit, and Trump decided to pardon him the last hours. Yeah, I mean, but this I, is how much influence. Right, I'm just very relieved that uh, little Wayne got his pardon because, you know, of all the deserving people on death row or who, you know, are languishing people of color languishing in prisons who really deserve pardons and clemency. Thank God that little Wayne, little Wayne, was able to get a pardon from President Trump. But it was actually ridiculous. Steve Bannon, little Wayne, Janine Pirro's ex-husband. Um, oh, this was an interesting one. Elliot Broidy. You know, Elliot Broidy. Steve, Bad Steve Bannon, he, he, his case has not been heard. I mean... These guys are receiving a bad, I mean, others who are, you know, they've already been convicted, but Steve Bannon has not been convicted yet. He, he got a get out of jail free card, Jamal. Exactly. That's what he got out. And that's why I think that Trump probably has a get out of jail card for himself in his pocket and for his family. But he did not tell anyone about. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not that he could it's have had this, you know, one, uh, for example, to. Rudy Giuliani, uh, his daughter, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, whatever. Maybe we don't know. I mean, we don't know about these, that they were already made. I mean, maybe we'll find out about these in a month or two, but who knows? Well, I want to I wanna throw out a few things in the little time we have left, Jamal. Um, I stand by my prediction that we will, we're not done with Donald Trump. That's number one. He will be a fixture for years to come. If you listen to what Lindsey Graham said yesterday, that the Republican Party should still follow Donald Trump no matter what. Number two. Yeah, I mean, on this thing, actually, and also uh, McCarthy uh, right. uh, walked back, but he said that he was responsible for what happened on, Ca on the Capitol. That's Cap right. Cap so, and, and, then, and then today or uh, earlier, he said, no, no, that wasn't his fault. Of course. And you're get, I, I predict that Ivanka Trump will run for the Senate against little Marco Rubio. I predict that Republicans will double down on white supremacy and Donald Trump, that we are far away, Jamal, from getting rid of Donald Trump or the scourge of the white supremacy tinge Republican Party. There's going to be 
most likely a civil war with, if there is one, within the Republican Party, well before uh, anything else happens. I mean, because Mitch McConnell has made his position quite clear. There's a lot of infighting going on. And maybe after a few rounds of golf is over, trust me, we haven't heard the end of Donald Trump. Well, uh, you're you're right. I mean, uh, we have to see, I, I guess. Uh, but but at least on <laughs> the good news is he's out, and um, the Congress is still control under the control of the Democrats. The Senate is split fifty fifty, but they'll take over. Uh, here is one 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 trivia, uh, Jess. You know, the Senate is split fifty fifty. However, the Democrats represent 41 million more Americans. I was looking at these stats. Wow. If you take the 50, 41 million Americans, but yet it's split 50-50. And that's something just to reflect on this whole electoral process. Well, we could only hope that uh, this electoral college, this um, antiquated throwback to appeasing slave owners, which is really where it comes from, Jamal, to make sure that slave owners and the slave states could maintain their power because they knew that the actual vote the, uh, of, of, of the people uh, would always be far greater. So we can only hope that we'll get another amendment someday in the next generation to get rid of this uh, this antiquated, slave-driven uh, electoral college. Well, I, well on that note... On that, uh, on yes. that optimistic note... <laughs> You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download our latest uh, episodes. And... Uh, it's a new morning in America. Yeah. Let's hope it's still the sun keeps shining and we stop talking about Trump. But uh, my friend here just thinks that we're <laughs> going to be hearing and reading about his name for the sorry. next four years. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm sorry. We'll see you all next week. See you next week. <laughs>